Hello and welcome to episode 74 of the Corinne Nidja podcast. This podcast is where I share people's incredible stories of recovery from chronic diseases such as type 2 diabetes, obesity, food addiction, heart disease, rheumatoid arthritis, multiple sclerosis, Crohn's disease, ulcerative colitis. There's so many stories out there. This uh, you know, so episode 74. So there's so many to go back and listen to. I'm just speechless every time I think about the incredible stories that have already been on this podcast and the stories that are yet to come that I hope will inspire people to make the switch to a low-fat, whole-food, plant-based diet for their health, for the planet, and for the animals. And I'm so excited to have you here if you're a first-time listener or a new listener to the show. This week we have this episode. So I did a brief stint of two episodes a week, but the school holidays have been on at the moment, so I've moved back to one and I'm very excited to share Dr. Alan Kalmus, and he has a blog called 01reluctantvegan.blogspot.com, and you can find him there, and he is a reluctant vegan, <laughs> which I love, and he he's sharing his weight loss story. So he has gone from 284 pounds down to 180 pounds. So lost a hundred over a hundred pounds. He is, you know, so passionate and enthusiastic about the benefits of a low-fat whole food plant-based diet and what it has given him in the way of a renewed quality of life. You know, he where he had sleep apnea, high blood pressure, he was on statin drugs, all those types of things. And and then he had a a friend die who was a similar age and all of a sudden he had that wake up moment that whoa I don't want to be next um moment and so today he's sharing his story and I'm really excited you know it was great talking to Alan I could have talked to Alan all day and it was lovely just to make I love making new friends across the world with this podcast so it's been great to continue a friendship with most of the guests on this show in some form or another because it can be you know this, this I you know this podcast is about building community so we're all building community across the world you as a listener you know you're 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 part of this family as well. So I'm so grateful to have you here. And if you have any questions, feel free to message me or message the guests. The best place would be to do that on the show notes by commenting and asking, you know, the guest a question about anything that you, you know, that comes up for you as you're listening to the podcast or about what we've talked about. You know, commenting there really helps them. We can both see it and get back to you and answer your questions as soon as possible. Obviously, sometimes we miss some, but we try to get back to everyone possibly that we can. And anyway, we'd love to hear from you and we'd love to help you out because, you know, you are part of this this family, this whole food plant-based family of, you know, people who are trying to heal from chronic disease, people who are trying to live better, feel better, even just gain more energy, transform their health. So I'm so excited. You know, I'm sure Alan will be so excited to hear from you as well if you have any questions. And you can find Alan Kalmus on Facebook at A-L-L-A-N-K-A-L-M-U-S um, over there as well. And, you know, he's going to share all of his great things and he has some great recipes over on his blog 
because he loves to make things like whole food plant-based lasagna and other deliciousness that you will no doubt love to try. And he's now, you know, a running superstar athlete man as well. So he is very, very motivating and inspiring. I'm sure that you'll love listening to what he has to say. And if you want to learn more about whole food plant-based eating over at my Facebook group, that is the Plant-Based and Thriving, the symbol end. So Plant-Based and Thriving is my Facebook page. You're welcome to join there and get some more support, ideas, recipes, that kind of thing. Hear more from me. I'd love to have you over there. And yeah, I hope you enjoy the show. Thanks for listening. Hello, Alan, and welcome to the show. Hi, Corinne. How are you? I'm good. I'm really good. And I'm very excited to speak to you. We've been chatting uh, for a little while now on Messenger. And so I read your story and I was very excited to share it here on the show. So I've already given you a little bit of an introduction. Uh, I'd love if you could just tell us all your story. Okay. Well, I'm 63 years old when I was... Uh, 58, I was 284 pounds. I weigh 100 and, well, 180 today because it's right after the holidays and I went a little nuts. But um, I was pretty much a couch potato. Um, I'm married. I've got three children. I've got two grandchildren now. And at the time. Congratulations. Thank you. At the time, I was married and had three children. And no grandchildren yet, but I was afraid I wouldn't be around to see any grandchildren if I didn't change my ways. At five foot six and three quarters and 284 pounds, uh, my body mass index was rather high. Um, I didn't really have any serious medical issues other than um, high blood pressure. It was not outrageous. It was about 140 over 90. And... Um, some sleep apnea. I would wear a CPAP machine. And he's, my doctor said I also had, you know, cholesterol that needed treating. It was 234 and he gave me some uh, statin drugs, which brought it down to about 194. Um, the blood pressure was controlled with medication, but at first the medication made me cough horribly. I had to have something in my mouth all the time. Otherwise I would gag. Uh, so he switched me from an ACE inhibitor, which dried out my mouth, to an ARB um, instead, and that seemed to work okay. Uh, so my blood pressure went down to pretty average, somewhere around 124 over maybe 84. Um, but then people around me started dying. Um, my next-door neighbor suddenly dropped dead from a heart attack at age 66. Uh, one of our neighbors in the same subdivision uh, he was just, I think, maybe two years older than I was, and he was very active, very thin, but he was a, a heavy smoker. And he went uh, bowling one night and dropped dead in the parking lot. Uh, another friend who I'd known since elementary school, um, he was out on a boat with his wife and children, and he suddenly turned blue and dropped dead on the boat, and there was nobody around who could uh, who could help, and that was the end of him. Uh, and then. Several other friends had to have stents put in their hearts. Meanwhile, I'm fine at the time. I didn't have any issues. But I kept on thinking I could hear God saying, oh, shit, I missed. 
and that I was like, you know, on his target board somewhere. Um, so I have a friend, his name is uh, uh, Dr. Joel Kahn. He's a interventional cardiologist, but he's also very big in the um, preventative nutrition versus surgery um, world. He's written a number of books and I've known him since I think he was probably in middle school and I'm just a couple years older than him. His brother and I were friends in high school. His brother was my roommate in college and um, we started, we were already friends on Facebook. So uh, we were chatting about it and I thought there's no freaking way I'm ever going to do this. This, this is nuts. I mean, everybody, everybody has to have some meat. Everybody has to have some oil. Uh, it's just common knowledge, but common knowledge isn't necessarily right. Um, so the more I read and the more he taught me, uh, just pretty much through his Facebook writing and through his, uh, uh, little blurbs that he put out on the Huffington post. And, um, he gave me a couple of his books, which, you know, I don't tell him, but I never read him. Um, he was, he was helpful though. He let me pick his brain. And so I kind of started changing my mind from, there's no way I'm ever going to do this to, yeah, maybe I should try it for a while and see what happens. And then he said, you got to watch Forks Over Knives. He kept on telling me, you got to watch Forks Over Knives. And I just never got around to it. And then one day I did and I switched from, yeah, maybe I should try this to, oh, I have to do this. And so I kind of set a date. I made it uh, New Year's resolution, January 1st, 2014, that I'm going to do this. And so for a few weeks ahead of time, I just started kind of prepping myself. I would make, I like to cook. I, I've liked to cook since college. And I started to collect a few recipes. And I collected maybe, I don't know, 10 different recipes of things that I could make and enjoy. And then I flipped, flipped the switch on uh, January 1st. And that was the last time I had, any, I think the, probably the 29th or 30th was the last time I had any uh, meat dairy, eggs, any chicken, nothing, no fish. Um, it's just been strictly plants since then. And in the first maybe two to three weeks after flipping the switch, um, I lost uh, 10, 15 pounds. And I thought, hmm, there's, <laughs> this is going to work just fine because I, I was never hungry. I could eat all I wanted. Um and I just kept learning more and I'd, I'd hit a plateau and then I would pick Dr. Khan's brain again and say, you know, what am I doing wrong? And he had me um, like write out a food journal so he could see what I was eating and he'd help tweak it for me. Um, and I got to the point where I lost uh, 80 pounds in like the first year. And that was another plateau. So uh, he and a, another guy, Paul uh, Chatlin, Chatlin, I don't know if you have talked to Paul, but no. he, you, you will. Cause I talked to him last night and he said he would love to do this with you. Oh, great. Yeah. He started something um, about the same time as I had uh, switched my life uh, called the plant-based nutrition support group. Uh, he and Dr. Khan did that together and we're up to, I think 6,000 members now um, internationally. So he has meetings and at the meetings he invites some people who are you know very well known like uh, I was at a meeting yesterday and Dr. Furman was there um, 
so one of the first people I got to see was uh, Dr. Neil Barnard. And I didn't even know who he was. He was actually standing next to me in the audience before anything started. And Paul said, introduce yourselves to the people next to, next to you. I said, hi, I'm Alan. He says, hi, I'm Neil. And the next thing I know, he's up on stage talking. Um, so at that meeting, I, I learned one of the things that I was doing wrong. The reason I hit a plateau was my main like snack food was um, nuts and seeds. So rather than having what I switched to now is a handful, um, maybe three times a week, maybe even not even that. Um, at that time, I would go to the local grocery store and for about six or seven dollars, I could get a pound of uh, almonds or walnuts or whatever I wanted. And I'd eat a quarter of the bag, half the bag. And it was just way, way too many um, calories. So the, what they say about eating as much as you want, as often as you want, isn't necessarily true. Um, it depends on what you're eating. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So I can eat as many carrots as I want. I can eat as much broccoli as I want. Um, those are very low in uh, calories. The nu nutritional density is high, but the calorie density is very low. So you fill yourself up on the fiber um, and you're good to go. And your body will just gain all of the energy you need from from those high high nutritional value foods. And it, it's just remarkable what happens, how the weight falls off. So I blasted through that plateau. And before you know it, I'd lost 100 pounds. Um, and I was very comfortable with that. Um, I still, my doctor said he would like me to lose just, just a few more pounds only to get my, he wanted my body mass index to be under uh, 25 and it was sitting at like 27. Uh, he said, that's pretty close. He said, just if you could lose 10 more pounds, I'd be golden. Uh, but my blood pressure went from on the high side down to that 124 over like 84 with medication to uh, the point where I was starting to get lightheaded. And part of my job is like bending over, standing up and sudden uh, changes in position like that would cause me to get dizzy. I'd start to feel faint. Everything would go gray. And I told him about that. And he said, well, let's take your blood pressure. So he took my blood pressure and it was 90 over 50. He said, yeah, maybe you don't need the blood pressure medicine anymore. Uh, so at that point, he didn't wean me off of it. He just took me off of it. And I was kind of concerned. He said, I want you to come back in a month and we'll see if anything, if you need to be on anything at all. And so I came back in a month and it, it did go up. It went all the way up to 105 over 68. And he said, that's better than his. So he said, you're going to stay right there. You're fine. Uh, he checked my cholesterol, and it had been at 234 without medicine, somewhere in the upper 190s with medicine. And at that point, without medicine, because he, he had taken me off of that too, without medicine, it was down to 137, my total cholesterol. Um, so he just held me up as a shining example of what nutrition could do versus putting me on drugs. And he was really happy. He had me go for a second sleep study. And I went from stopping breathing multiple times, you know, an hour to a little bit of light snoring and no stopping of breathing. And so they took me off the sleep apnea machine. Um, 
So then down a hundred pounds, feeling great, went to family barbecue on uh, Memorial Day weekend. It's just, you know, late May here in the States. And my niece, who is an avid runner, uh, likes to run half marathons. And she said, you got you got to take up running. And I said, no, I don't have to take up running. You're crazy. I don't want to do that. I don't want to sweat. I don't want to smell bad. And she said, um, well, you can just do a 5K with me, 3.1 miles. I said, I don't want to do five feet with you. I, I just don't want to do it. And she said, well, you know, it's Memorial Day and, the, and there's a nice 5K that's real easy. It's on a level plane. And that would be Labor Day, which is three months in the future. And I still said no. And she said, well, if you do it, you get a T-shirt for free. Well, part of the cost of uh, signing up, you get a T-shirt. And if you just cross the finish line, you get a shiny medal. I said, I get a shiny medal? <laughs> I got all excited. <laughs> and I said, okay, I'll give it a try. She says, and I'll stay with you the whole time. I won't run away from you. I won't make you feel embarrassed or anything. And we'll just have a nice day together. I said, that's very nice. And so I started that day, just went out and just, I mean, I was really a couch potato. I just went out and watched, walk the dog. Um, and I didn't have any problem with that. We walked maybe a half a mile. The dog kept on stopping. He didn't want to go anywhere. Um, but the following day, we walked a little bit farther and then a little bit farther. And then I started to speed it up and kind of did like a light jog. And at that point, the dog was holding me back. And so I put the dog away in the house with my wife and he was happy and I was happy and the weather was warming up. So I started to warm up too. And I got to the point where I could easily run three miles and wound up joining her for that race. And I came in third in my age group. I finished in uh, 31 minutes and 13 seconds, I think was the time. Awesome. And how long after, after you started, was that after Jan 1st, 2014, was this? This was two years. Wow, that's so great. Yeah, I lost the weight in about 18 months. And then, yeah, when I started running was about two years. I, I really didn't even want to do it. But I was so excited at that point that I could do it. I never wanted to do that. In my whole life, I didn't want to run. That was punishment to me. When I... In middle school, I, junior high, high school, I played a little football and the coach would make us run laps if we were not were going up to his uh, expectations. So running had always been like punishment and now it's like a joy. So um, I can run 10K. Um, I got I to gotta stop for a few minutes in the middle there, but I can two, put two 5Ks together um, with just a little water break in the middle. And uh, I'm, I'm good to go. But yeah, I'm running 10-minute miles now, um, sometimes a little bit faster depending on how I'm feeling. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm proud of that. I'm, I'm able to do that without a problem. And I have a whole bunch of medals because they give you one <laughs> every time you cross the line. <laughs> That's the best part. I, I was so excited because I was a kid who – but I came, I came third once in a race and that was only because there was three people in the race. <laughs> That's perfect. So I just loved getting my first, doing my first, well, I don't think I've ever done one 5K and getting that medal at the end and thinking, wow, look at me. <laughs> right, right. We, we had one this fall. There's this wonderful museum in the Detroit area. It's called the uh, Henry Ford Museum in Greenfield Village. And it has 
about 300 years of history that kind of winds through this, uh, this museum and it's outdoor. And so they said, you're going to run through 300 years. I thought, oh, that's fascinating. So um, I had bronchitis the race in about 34, 35 minutes. Um, and then got really, really sick for, oh. for a few weeks. Yeah, but um, it, it all passed and I'm back to running now and everything's fine. Um, so, yeah, pl- plant-based, no oil. It'll protect you or, or help you with most chronic diseases, but it isn't going to prevent the common cold and it isn't going to stop bronchitis. And, you know, you still have to have a brain in your head. And I that day I didn't. <laughs> and it was raining that day. Oh, bummer. So, Alan, I, I, lo- I love, I actually, I really, really love your story because I think it, it will resonate with so many people who have, you know, ended up carrying excess weight and who... I would say fat. <laughs> <laughs> fat because really why why gentle make it more gentle on somebody you know you're you're fat you, you if people start saying well you're big boned or you're just heavy or no you're just plain fat and get over yourself and, and you can do something about it and it's not that hard anyone can do it it doesn't cost anything it's actually cheaper than buying a you know big pile of meat and cheese and things that are bad for you, and you don't, you know, they're bad for you, but you go ahead and eat them anyway. How did your wife and family go when you made this switch? Like, was it hard for them? Because a lot of people, your family members and loved ones, can can you know make it really easy for you by being really supportive, or they can make it really hard for you by being like, I'm still going to keep eating what I'm eating and keeping all these foods that are tempting to you in the house or wanting them in the pantry and not wanting to make food that's compliant with a whole food, plant-based, no oil way of living, or, you know, you go out socializing and it's very difficult with your friends. How was it for you? Uh, to this day, it's still difficult. There, There is no one else in the family that's doing what I'm doing. Um, I've gotten spectacular results and they're all very proud of me, but they're not going to change the way that they eat and live, um, which is fine. That's totally their decision. This is my decision. But like I said earlier, I love to cook. So I just keep on coming up with interesting recipes and I don't have to worry about how good or bad they taste because I'm the only one eating them. Um, I can just go, mm, this is so good and it could be horrible, but they'll never know. Yeah. I, I, as far as going out, they always seem to have an opinion. They never had an opinion when I weighed close to 300 pounds. I could eat whatever I wanted and nobody cared. Uh, but now if I order, um, you know, a salad with some broccoli on the side and some Brussels sprouts and things like that, they all have an opinion on that. Where are you getting your protein? Oh, please. I'm getting my protein the where, where I was meant to get my protein. I was meant to get my protein from plants and that's where I'm getting my protein. Um, that's where all the animals they eat get their protein. And all I'm doing is cutting out the middleman. Or the middle cow. So this, did you find it when those fir- in that first six months? A lot of people find it quite challenging in that first. Well, may, mainly that first month is really hard on a lot of people. When you're breaking away from the way you've eaten your whole life, and especially like as a chef AJ says, if it's in your house, it's in your mouth. It's still in my house. Yeah, because you, you, it's still in your house. So how did you find that? Like it takes a a lot of determination and commitment. 
and a really strong, like you say, you know, your friends around you were dying, so you had a bit of a feeling that you were dodging a a bullet. Was that was is was that the internal motivator that helped prevent you from reaching for the chips in your pantry? What was the thing that pushed you through? Well, that was it. I don't want to. I don't want to die at the end of my own fork. So I'm aware of how important it is. What I put in my mouth is way more important than anything else I do. Um, I did some math. If, if you, I don't know, you, you have McDonald's there, don't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's international. If, if you were to eat a, a typical McDonald's lunch, which may be a cheeseburger, a Big Mac, a large fry, and a, and a, a Coke, um, according to their website, that's somewhere around 1,200 calories. And if you do that three times a week, you're talking 3,600 calories. Well, when I run on a treadmill, I noticed that one mile was somewhere between 140, 145 calories per mile. So if you were to get that, do the math, you have to run a marathon, a little bit more than a marathon every week, just in order to burn off lunch. That, that doesn't include whatever else you're eating. Um, so, you know, growing up, like, especially in college, it was, uh, there was always the feeling that if I eat too much pizza on Tuesday, I could go to the gym on Wednesday and I could burn it off. And then Wednesday would come and I would eat too many hamburgers and I have to go to the gym and burn it off. Well, it doesn't work like that. Not going to burn it off. You're never going to, you're never going to, you can't out exercise that, that bad diet. And most of the time you would say you're going to go and not go anyway. The math just doesn't work out. The, uh, the idea of, you know, potato chips are in the house. At this point, you know, five, six years later, if, if I grab a potato chip and chew it up and eat it, you know, it's, it's a pleasure, but I don't eat half the bag. I, I just, you know, get a taste and that's it. Um, so am I 100% compliant? I'm close. Most days I'm 100% compliant, but, you know, on the weekend, my grandson's over and he's munching on these little veggie snack sticks or something like that that are pretty much veggie potato chips. And, you know, I'll join them, but, but I won't eat the whole bag, um, which I would have done, you know, six, seven years ago. Um, but yeah, that, that thing with the math got me. I thought, yeah, you know what, there really is no way I'm ever going to exercise this off. And so I, I, I tried so many different things. Um, I, I joined Weight Watchers for a while. Oh, I have a funny story about that. Please tell. Okay. I'm in Weight Watchers and I'm quiet. I'm just sitting there. And the lady is talking about the different kinds of foods that are like zero points. So one of the women raises her hand and says, well, you said we can eat as many apples as we want. How many apples is too many apples? And so the lady looks at her in the face and goes, honey, you're not here because you ate too many apples. Nobody's here because they ate too many apples. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought that was great. I thought that was great. But um, Weight Watchers was was a good choice. They have a wonderful system. Um, but it wasn't for me. I'm not really that much of a of a joiner, and I don't want to go to meetings, and and I certainly don't want to spend any money that I don't have to spend. Uh, so I had certain criteria I was looking for. One is I didn't want to spend a lot of money. Two is I didn't want it to be painful. So I didn't want surgery. I didn't want it to be dangerous. I didn't want surgery. I didn't want to go on a diet that was going to be um, difficult to maintain um, for a long period of time. I wanted something that I could, you know, ease into and then just stick with it. And so whole food, plant-based, no oil, 
is painless, which was important. It's cheap, which was important. It's not dangerous. You can't really hurt yourself on it. And, um, and it's sustainable. So it's sustained me very well for the last, you know, over five years. Wow. Wow. So I wanted to talk to you because you just, you touched on it just then about, you know, Weight Watchers and the things that you have tried. And I wanted to say, because a lot of people, and I say this every single week, so I'm sorry, everyone listening, if you're thinking, gosh, Corinne, get new questions. (laughs) But look, (laughs) I haven't got any. (laughs) You have to just deal with it. No. uh, Is it, how did you eat before? Like, what would a typical day have looked like for you before? Because if people are thinking, oh, maybe he was vegetarian already or maybe he, you know, wasn't eating that much meat or wasn't eating this much eggs or whatever, like what was a typical day of food like for you before you made this? Because for most people this is a huge shift in the way that, they, that, that, that they're going to eat. So what was it for you? It was a huge shift. I, I- Get up in the, I'd get up in the morning and pretty much eat leftovers from the night before, whatever it was. If it was a hamburger, I would eat that. If it was um, spaghetti, I'd eat that. If it was, if I wanted to make a bowl of cereal, it was some sugary child cereal with, you know, a bunch of milk. Um, then I would probably have a snack in the middle of the morning, um, which might have been Pop-Tarts or, you know, a muffin or something like that. And then lunch would be on the fly. I would pick up a cheeseburger and fries and a Coke or have some chicken nuggets and um, then have another snack later in the afternoon. At that point, I was probably just having a piece of fruit just because I could walk around and it wouldn't get in my way. And then dinner would be a steak, hamburgers, um, potatoes, um, mostly, mostly beef, mostly chicken, a lot of chicken. Chickens feared me. I would walk through a yard that had chickens in it and they would all run because they knew I might eat them. Um, but fried chicken, baked chicken, broiled chicken, I didn't care. It was chicken. Um, when I, I'm, I'm Jewish. When I grew up, um, my mother used to uh, take the skin from a chicken and she would render it. She'd boil it with some onions and some garlic and, she, and, and a lot of salt and make these little cracklings. And... Um, the stuff, the fat that, that she would collect from that is called schmaltz. And schmaltz is kind of like lard. Um, it was great to cook with, and that's what my mother would would cook with. And that's what I grew up eating. So it, it, for, for somebody who who is uh, Jewish, when you're starting to get a little, little fat, a little pudgy, um, they would say, look, he's getting schmaltzy. Just kind of like uh, if you're not Jewish and you eat pork, you're getting porky. Um, yeah, so I was I was pretty much born schmaltzy. <laughs> Me um, too, and not Jewish. <laughs> yeah, there were pictures of me like in a swimming pool at the age of probably one and a half, and I looked like the Michelin Man. I just had you know rows and rows of uh, fat up my legs and on my arms, um, and I think I was probably overweight right through high school. Um, we went on, a, I went on a, after high school, before college, I went on like a six week European tour and lost a ton of weight because I was eating like a lot of vegetables. I didn't like the taste of anything, but the, but the vegetables. So, and we did a ton of walking. Uh, so I came home weighing a lot less than I, I weighed when I went, but then I went to college and a bad diet at college oh is not good. Oh my gosh, I know. Um, <laughs> I would have, 
you know, I would have pizza probably every day and it wouldn't just be like one piece. I, I would have a large pizza um, or at least half of a large pizza with pepperoni and with bacon on it and with whatever they threw on it, I'd eat a seafood diet. If I saw food, I'd eat it. Um, if I were to go studying, uh, if I could find a quiet little carol at, uh, at the library, I would bring in a bag of Doritos with me and I wouldn't leave with the bag of Doritos. That, that whole big bag would be gone. Um, my, yeah, my diet was really bad. Um, so yeah, I gave up all of that to, to switch over to the, the whole food. And it was because I was looking kind of being scared, thinking I'm going to die way too young, or I'm going to even worse than dying, I'm going to have a stroke and other people are going to have to take care of me. Um, and I didn't, I didn't, <laughs> um, I didn't want to leave my wife like that. No, no. So, so that was, that's my, my, my motivation. Um, I have, I have pictures of, of me, uh, holding, one of my great nieces in a pool and weighing around 284 pounds. And then I have uh, two years later holding my grandson and weighing 174 pounds in the same pool with the same haircut. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I think, Oh my God, what a huge difference in such a short time. And that, that I was pretty much holding my motivation right there. Uh, here's here's the little person that I want to watch grow up, and I think I have I have a much better chance of doing that now. I think getting emotional. Oh, no, it's beautiful. <laughs> I think that it's so you know family. Yeah, those types of moments. You know, I know Jeanette Murray Wakelin. She talked about with her breast cancer that she was holding her grand child when she discovered the lump in her breast and just how she was just like she was just like wow that my grandchild basically showed me that I had this tumor in her this tumor in her breast and she just said I had to do everything I could to see to see to be with him or him or her sorry Jeanette if you're listening I don't remember which gender your grandchild was right now it was a little baby, though, I know that. And she was just like, you know, I have to do it a lot, everything I can to overcome this terminal breast cancer and be with my grandchild for as long as possible. Uh, and I think that those types of that loving bond we have for our family members, you know, for me as well, you know, watch, I watched my parents lose my brother and I watched them holding him as he passed away. And I just thought, you know, I've got multiple sclerosis, this, this, this could happen again and I couldn't bear the thought of my parents having to do the same thing for me in the future. And so I just thought I have to do everything I can to 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 be healthy. And I think that it it's a beautiful thing to love, have a, someone that you love enough to do everything that you can to to live healthy and be your best for. You know, that's really... Not everyone has that. And so I think it's really, really beautiful when people do have that sense of deep connection with a family member that you just like, I I don't ever want them to see me suffering. I don't want them to have to care for me. I don't want them to miss out on being with them. I think that that's, that's a pretty special thing. Yeah. Well, and also, I didn't want to go through the pain. <laughs> well, me too. <laughs> yeah. My my father uh, died from 
uh, heart disease when he was 78. Um, but he smoked since he was 10 years old. And I thought, okay, I could rationalize that. I could say, okay, well, he was never heavy. My father was a concentration camp survivor. Um, he lived through Auschwitz. He lost his family. He um, came to the United States and, and built a family. And then he just smoked the whole time. And then when he was 72, he had uh, uh, intractable um, angina. He couldn't get up to, at that time, he, we didn't have a remote control for the TV. He had to get up and change the dial. Um, but he couldn't do that. He had to like have one of us do it. Otherwise he'd get chest pain. Uh, so he had to go to the Cleveland clinic. They wouldn't even touch him in Detroit and Detroit's got some fantastic hospitals, but they said there was nothing they could do for him. And, and they said, but if you go to the Cleveland clinic, they may be able to help. And he wound up having like quadruple bypass surgery. Um, and he recovered very well from that. But, the first thing he wanted when we left the hospital was a cheeseburger. At the time, that nobody knew. I mean, that was something that was normal. That they would serve them food like that in the hospital, even at the Cleveland Clinic. And um, he wound up having uh, peripheral vascular disease as well. I mean, it's not just your heart that's getting plugged up. The other arteries in your body are as well. Uh, so he wound up having to have bypass surgery on his leg, uh, which was way more painful for him uh, than the heart surgery had been. Uh, it took him way longer to recover. Um, but uh, when he died at, at, you know, age 78, we thought, well, you know, he had an amazing life and uh, had raised healthy children. And, um, you know, we were proud of him. And then my mom, who never smoked, but lived with a smoker, um, she lived to be uh, two weeks short of 90. But at about the age of maybe 82, she started developing dementia. And again, our arteries hardening in her brain um, were getting to her. And so, you know, she, she had a pretty miserable time for about six years until she passed away. But again, I was rationalizing. I was saying that she lived with a smoker. I don't. Um, she was eating schmaltz, you know, most all of her life. And and you could, you could pretty much rationalize away anything. Um, but one of my uh, uh, first cousins, who is five, was five years older than me, uh, he died at the age I am now. And he was, I was 58, 57, 58. Uh, he was 63. And he was never heavy. He was never a smoker. He was athletic. He would cross-country ski. He would play hockey and he would run. And then, and he married a woman from Australia. Um, do you know her? <laughs> and so, yes. <laughs> uh, she, she, it was a second marriage for both of them. And she had gone back to Australia because her daughter was um, having a baby and she wanted to, you know, help for that last month. And they would talk on the phone every night. And then one night, she called to talk to him and he wasn't answering. And she thought, oh, you know, he's out with some friends or whatever. Because uh, there's, you know, a huge time difference. And uh, that went on for about two days, three days. She couldn't get in touch with him. So uh, his ex-wife, who they were still friends, um, she called and asked, could you please go check and see, is his car there, whatever. And his car was there and the police came and uh, did like a, a wellness check and he was dead on the floor. Uh, he had died from a heart attack and 
he was only 63. And we couldn't even blame his ex-wife. She, I mean, his, or his current wife. She was in Australia at the time. That was a little more close for me. It wasn't, you know, a friend who, you know, lived next door, a friend. It was somebody who had half the same genes that I had. And so it, it's just, after talking to my cousin's children, they said his diet was really crappy. They said he was just, you know, eating like a, whatever he wanted, but even though he never looked heavy. So what's going on in the inside, you don't necessarily show on the outside until until exactly. it shows. And we've had doctors on this show talk about that they have people who are runners, cyclists, people who look fit and healthy by all accounts from the outside, but that they're, you know, they've been living on, you know, meat, eggs, dairy, diets for their whole life and um on the inside their hearts are damaged their you know their veins are damaged there's disease formation present even though on the outside they look like they're thin lean fit healthy it it it, it i think it's shocking to lots of people to know that people who look healthy can be so sick on the inside absolutely and i'm a I'm a foot specialist, I'm a podiatrist, and I see people who um, look fine, but they're diabetic, and I take an x-ray of their foot, and I can see that their blood vessels are calcified, just on a plain old x-ray, and it, it just looks like a whole tree going through their foot, um, and I tell them, if your foot is showing this, it's not just your foot, your heart is doing this, your brain is doing this, it's, it's throughout your vascular tree, and you need to see your family doctor and see what they have to say. And generally, all they do is give them medicine. They just throw pills at them. They don't ask them. They never ask them, what are you eating? How can we change that? Um, and it's just the simplest thing in the world. It really is. I mean, it's stuff that you're pretty much already eating. You're probably already liking carrots and celery and potatoes and sweet potatoes and beets and, and arugula and romaine and onions and mushrooms and, you know, garlic and and cauliflower, broccoli, asparagus, there's just such a huge, I mean, I, there's 80,000 different edible plants. I'm not going to list them all. Um, <laughs> and go. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's easy enough to learn how to put them together in a healthy way. You're probably already doing it. The only problem is you go to a restaurant and you order a mandarin salad with a chicken breast on it or, or salmon on it or something like that. And that's a, when I go out to the restaurant with friends, I've literally gone and said, I'd, I'll have the pan Pacific salad, hold the chicken. Um, I've gone to an upscale Italian restaurant and ordered chicken cacciatore, hold the chicken. And the guy does it. He said, okay, fine. No problem. And he says, you want anything in, in substitution for that? I said, um, yeah, mushrooms, throw me in, throw me in some mushrooms. He says, yeah, sure. It's not an issue. I mean, they want to please you. They want they want to take your money and they want you coming back again. Um, they're not offended and they're not eating it. They don't care. They're probably spending less money because they don't have to give you that piece of absolutely, chicken. Absolutely, absolutely. And so for you, what would have been like the, in relation to food, what would be something that now would be your go-to food for people who are thinking, gosh, what would he eat then? Like, would it just, would it be, do you eat like the whole food plant-based versions of what you used to eat or is your diet completely different now? Like what would your diet today look like? What would you eat like? 
I have a huge variety of things that I've come up with myself in the last five years. I think I counted them and there's about 184 different recipes. Looks like a cookbook in the making, Alan. (laughs) Fourth person since yesterday who told me that and only because they were reading my blog and seeing all the different recipes that I've posted. And that's not all of them. That's just some of them. Um, But I, I really, really love lasagna. So, you know, challenge accepted, right? I went, I went to, um, to somebody else's recipe and started to tweak it. And all I did was leave out the oil that they were putting in. I didn't use fake cheese anymore. I, I came up with my own recipe for cheese, cheese substitute that's made out of potatoes, um, tapioca flour, and nutritional yeast with some seasoning, some lemon juice, some, some vinegar. And it actually tastes much like cheese, but it isn't, and it doesn't have any fat in it. It's just starches, which are good for you. I mean, that word starch used to scare me. And now it's like, yeah, okay, that's the healthy stuff. And everything that I make is is whole food. I, I don't buy, uh, I call it vegan junk food because that's exactly what it is. Um, it, it's food that's coming in a box and it's been processed and it's gone through a factory and I don't know what half the things on the label are. And there's a lot of things on the label. So I stay away from that. It's it's whole foods. If I want to make some macaroni and cheese, I use that same recipe that I use for the lasagna, except I put in um, some turmeric, which makes it look yellow. Instead of making it look like mozzarella, now it looks like um, nacho cheese. And I'll spice it up. I'll throw in some uh, ground pepper. Tabasco sauce is, is great. I throw that in. And then I'll put it over um, cauliflower and it comes out terrific. I mean, it's just like nacho cheese sauce with cauliflower. There was an interesting one I did with, um, it was whole grain uh, pasta, elbow macaroni pasta. And it was sitting on the counter. I had made it to eat later. And my daughter, who was about 29 years old at the time, uh, she walks in and sees this macaroni and cheese sitting on the counter already all you know mixed up and everything and just sitting there and cooling it. And I'm maybe 30 feet away from her. And I hear, Dad, what is this? It tastes like crap. <laughs> and I'm going, I said, that's so offensive. I mean, what do you mean it tastes like crap? She goes, I didn't say crap. I said, what'd you say? She said, Kraft, K-R-A-F-T. <laughs> it tasted to her like Kraft macaroni yeah. and cheese. And she said, is, is, did you make this? Is this for you? I said, yeah, there's no cheese in it. She says, it's, you know, it's amazing. Um, so yeah, most of the food is amazing. You, you can't believe that it doesn't have the ingredients that you grew up with. Um, so the lasagna, I, I came up with a recipe for the mozzarella cheese. I came up with a recipe for um, the ricotta cheese, which is made out of tofu. Um, and uh, yeah, tofu used to be I didn't want to like touch it, but I found out that it's just really a base. You flavor it any way you want, um, and it's not hard to do. Um, I, I learned to, I, I mean, I think pulled pork tastes great, but I don't eat pork anymore. Uh, so I learned about jackfruit, which is an incredibly versatile it's, it's uh, thing to play with. Amazing jackfruit and 
Um, even though this isn't a whole food, so I feel bad saying it on my whole food plant-based podcast, but at the chickpea brine, like I just wanted to impress my family at Christmas, aquafaba. I wanted to impress them. All that yeah, but yeah, well, it's weird that, water, bean water. <laughs> but when you right? make it, it's very hard to make it good without adding like Sugar, <laughs> I was, or adding if you're making well, meringue, I was making a meringue, so the meringue was a. That, that's a whole other story. Yeah, I was making. I made meringues with it for my family for Christmas because I wanted to show my dad that you could make. Right, one of my friends is a professional chef, and she did that. She made the little, um, little meringue cookies out of the aquafaba, and yeah, it has a lot it of sugar. Of sugar, but it was still so mind blowing that bean water could make. And, you know, and that's the same how I feel about um, jackfruit. You're like, how can it taste? If you close your eyes, you just couldn't believe that a fruit or a bean water could turn into something so amazing. Oh, you don't even have to close your eyes. Jackfruit looks, when you cook it, it looks like pulled pork or pulled chicken or jerk chicken. It's remarkable. But I found that it has four different things you can do with it because not only can you take the the little like uh, yellow or golden, um, you know, sweet pieces of fruit, those are edible, but the stuff that connects them, the fibrous parts that are in between the the fruits, you got to buy the whole fruit. Obviously you can't just buy the little bulbs uh, which come packaged, but you can take that and you can shred that and you can put that in your pressure cooker and that comes out like pulled pork. And you can also use the um, just below the skin. It's called the pith. Just like on an orange, the white stuff underneath the orange stuff. Um, the pith also tastes like meat or has a texture of meat. And then there's a core that kind of holds everything together. And if you carve away all the stuff on the outside of it and slice it up into like medallions, it's amazing how close to um, like a brisket that feels in your mouth. I don't know what a brisket is. Because I'm from Australia. Oh, um, I've heard uh, the word. But what's or, it, what is it? What, what is it? It's um, it's oh, roast beef. Really? It's one of the cuts of meat. The brisket is like I I don't know what part of the cow it is, but it's a very tender uh, part of the cow. But yeah, it's surprising what you can do with this thing, with this jackfruit, with this one fruit. Um, how many different things you can pull out of it? Because the fruit itself is edible raw. I mean, you just you know eat it and it it has kind of a slightly tropical taste to it kind of like a combination between a pineapple and a mango and a a papaya um and then the pits the pits are the size of an avocado pit um and they have a really hard um like skin on them but if you boil it the skin kind of comes away and you can eat the pits they taste similar to a, a potato so it's layer upon layer upon layer. I did of, not um, know. You awesome. are teaching me. So I'm, I'm desperate to go get a jackfruit now. <laughs> yeah, they're not so easy to find around here. I mean, Michigan no, is they're uh, not here either. You know, halfway to the North Pole. Um, it's more of a tropical thing. But I did find one store that has it all the time. And if for your listeners who don't know what jackfruit is, it's about the size of a small watermelon, um, but it grows up in trees. It's huge. Uh, they they can weigh 20, 25 pounds. Uh, but I found a store that sells them quartered. So it's not very expensive. It's I think they sell it for about $1.27 a pound, which is cheaper than meat. Um, 
And, and like I said, I can make a lot of different things out of it. In fact, I took the part that I mentioned earlier, the pith, the, the part that's just underneath the skin. And um, I stripped it and into, well, I cut it into strips and I made it look like spare ribs. And then I seasoned it like spare ribs. Um, because whatever you soak that thing in, you know, you like make a brine and you soak it in it. That's what it's going to taste like. So I just took that, the oven, put a little barbecue sauce on it, and son of a gun, if it tastes just like spare ribs, uh, texture is a little bit different, but the taste was great. Um, yeah, but those medallions that I made out of the uh, the stem, I thought, oh my god, I didn't, I, I just didn't know what to do with it. I hate to throw anything away. I'm I'm cheap like that. The outside skin, there's no choice. You got to throw it away. It's just hard as a rock and um, it's not really edible. But, That's yeah. incredible because there is a lot left over. I've bought a jackfruit once, maybe twice, a quarter like what you're talking about, and there is so much left over after you eat the yellow the yellow pieces. And this was before I knew you could eat the not other bits. Yeah, so <laughs> I, this was a long time ago. So now I know when I get one, I can eat all the bits. That's great. Uh huh. Yeah. It, well, I'll have to send you You'll some recipes because you gotta. You'll you have, play with it. You'll you really have to. Do. Now, just while we're on that topic, your blog. So your blog is called Zero One Reluctant Vegan. Am I right? At dot dot blogspot dot com. Yeah, right. The number zero one and then reluctant vegan dot blogspot dot com. And yeah, it's it, when I started it, I didn't know what the heck I was doing. I mean, I, I started it like from a month after I started going plant based. And I said, this is going to be my personal diary. I'm just going to keep it where I can find it and see what happens. And then I kind of went public with it. And I think it's been read somewhere around 67,000 times um, around the world. Several people in Australia kind of picked up on it. Um, the recipes that I would come up with or people would give me and I would tweak them a little bit. Um I published those, I put in pictures, and at the beginning, the pictures are very um, unprofessional. It, it just, they weren't that interesting. I don't think I was spending much time. And then somebody mentioned, why don't you put a little background to them, you know, so they don't look like it's just sitting there all by itself. And then I started to learn to uh, play with it, and now they're really, really pretty. I'm proud of my uh, my photography work. Gosh, you'll have to give me um, some tips. <laughs> yeah. Not that hard, but really, uh, the the cameras now that are in your cell phone. I mean, I have a I have a beautiful Nikon camera that's I think it's twenty four megapixels. I don't ever use it. It just sits in my closet because my cell phone takes an equally good picture, and I can manipulate it right. I can edit it right from my cam my cell phone. So yeah, my my blog is interesting. I I mean I I go back and read some of the old stories that I wrote, you know, five years ago, and Sometimes some bring a tear to my eye. I mean, I, I, it's like, oh God, who wrote this? And it's me. Yeah, wow. <laughs> um, yeah, I surprised so myself. You, are you on social media as well? Can, can people follow you on Instagram or Twitter or Facebook as well, or just your at your blog if people want to read your more of your story? I've got. I, I don't really use Twitter or um, Instagram all that much because I'm just old. <laughs> um, Facebook, I'm on all the time, um, and that's just just my name, A L L A N K A L M U S. And um, yeah, be happy to accept you as a friend as long as you're not sending me nasty pictures. Oh, gosh, 
I hope not. Which happens frequently. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Yeah, so your story is so fantastic, and I'm sure people want to read, you know, go over to your blog and check it out over at 01reluctantvegan.blogspot.com. But before we hang up, I would really like if you would share your three biggest tips for anyone who's considering adopting this lifestyle. Okay. I would say the number one thing when you're starting out is to keep a food diary journal. Write down everything that goes in your mouth during a day. If it's water, write it down. Put down what time, how much. If you have a salad, don't write down a salad. Write down, I had romaine and iceberg lettuce with some arugula with carrots and celery, and it was seasoned with whatever you choose. Um, I tend to use lemon juice, red wine vinegar, apple cider vinegar, um, onion flakes, uh, salt, pepper, oregano, basil, whatever. Write it all down, every single thing. Um, if you have a sandwich at lunch and you make it with a whole wheat pita, write down. I had one, I had two whole wheat pitas and I had chickpea spread on it. And the chickpea spread had uh, garlic dressing in it that was made out of cashews. And I just write everything down. And then before you take your next snack or your next meal, Look at what you already ate during that day and decide whether or not are you eating because you're hungry or are you eating because you're bored or are you eating because you're stressed or are you eating because you just want to eat and do you need to? And if you want to, you have to write, do it, but write it down. Uh, by the end of the day, you may find that you're eating a heck of a lot more than you ever wanted to admit you were eating, um, but it gives you a chance to really tweak your own life. You get to say, okay, this is what I put into that. And that had um, three handfuls of almonds in them. Did I need all three handfuls? Could I have got, gotten away with one handful? Could I have counted out seven nuts, crushed them and sprinkled it over everything? And would that have been enough? Um, did I need to eat an entire pouch of sunflower seeds? Or could I have just taken a palmful and then put it away for another time and eaten, you know, the rest another day. Um, not necessarily taking anything away from your diet. You're, you're pretty much adding things in that are just going to push the meat out. Um, so that would be number one would be that journal. Um, number two would be to learn to cook. You may not have a support system that's going to want to cook for you. And it isn't that hard to do. I mean, to, instead of using oil to just, Take some vegetable broth, which you can make yourself easy enough. You throw veggies in a pot with some salt and pepper and just drain out the uh, the liquid. And there you got your vegetable broth and then you can eat the vegetables. Um, yeah, and you just use that to saute under a much uh, lower heat than you would with oil. If you just want to clarify some onions or, uh, you know, start another dish. Uh, so, yeah, learn to cook it. it is, it's fun. It's not hard. It's cathartic. And at the end of the day, you get to eat it, right? And third thing, um, don't give up. Don't give up on yourself. If you have a, a weekend where your grandson is over and he's eating vegetables, you know, uh, yeah, vegetable chips, and you have a few, well, your life isn't over. You, you, so what? You, you had a few things you shouldn't have, but the big picture is you've improved your diet so much. 
that those few little uh, mistakes are not going to make that much of a difference. So yeah, pat yourself on the back when you deserve it. Don't kick yourself in the butt when you screw up. Uh, just move on and you'll be fine. You'll be a lot better off than you are today. Yes, I love that. Just move on. And oh, I was talking to a f- you, you go, what? Thing. I poor thing. thing, go. We always move. like it. What? Move. Move. Get up. Walk. Stand up. Sit down. Stand up. Sit down. You're in front of a TV. You've got nothing to do but watch that TV. No. Wave your arms in the air if you, if you can't do anything else. Yeah, wiggle your butt. Do Do whatever you feel like you can do that you're comfortable with. And then once you start moving and feeling comfortable after a week, two weeks, three weeks, whatever it takes, get outside, walk a little bit if the weather's nice. You know, if not, go over to a gym and get on a treadmill if you don't have a treadmill in your house. Um, We have a gym here called Planet Fitness. They only charge $10 a month. It's very, very inexpensive. And it's a beautiful equipment. So it's so well maintained. So yeah, just get up and move. It isn't a deal breaker. If you, if you don't want to move, if you feel like you don't want to run, you don't like to sweat, you're like me, like I was, that isn't how I lost weight. I lost an additional 10 pounds in two years after running, 10 pounds. I lost 100 pounds just eating right. So 90% what you put in your mouth, 10% how much you move. But move, get some exercise. It's yes. good for you. You just reminded me when you were talking, my father-in-law, if you listen, he's not listening, but hi, Ravi. <laughs> He's a beautiful man, but he or he walks regularly. One time when you're talking about, you know, moving, you're watching TV, moving your arms or whatever. And one time I drove past him because he regularly does these all these arm exercises, moving all the joints he likes to do, all this stuff. And he was walking along. You can't see me. I drove, was driving home from work late at night or something, and he was walking by himself with his headphones on and his beanie on and <laughs> and – Walking around at the area that he lives, which is a very fancy area of Melbourne, a suburb of Melbourne, full of very wealthy people. And he was walking around doing these arm exercises, you know, in the dark by himself. And he just looked like <laughs> it was a very comical action. You, never, you don't normally see people doing arm exercises whilst they're on their night walk. But he was, and I just remember thinking how funny it was. But now I do those kind of things myself on my walk. <laughs> now that I'm... Why, why not? not? Why not? You're not doing it. For, you're not being judged. Well, maybe you are being judged, who but who cares? At the time, I thought it was hysterical. And now I do even more hysterical things because now I'm so obsessed with how can I make the most out of every moment of life, you know, move my shoulders, sure. <laughs> sure, sure. I mean, I, I, I go to the gym and I run two, three miles on the treadmill and then I get up off of that and I'm looking around, okay, what can I do next? So there's there's weights, there's all the machines and I'll just go from one to the other and nobody's judging me. I'm just doing what I do and, you know, if somebody's waiting to use a machine, they're patient, they wait and then, you know, I get up, wipe it down and they're they're the next person on it. But yeah, you do you do what you're comfortable with. Uh, my, my, my friend, Josh, uh, he's, he's on the episode before you last episode, everyone's listening, check, oh, really? check back and you'll listen to Josh. Oh, okay. Episode yeah. 73. This is episode 74. So. Oh my God. That's funny. That 74 is one of, that's my father's concentration camp number was seven, seven, three, four, seven. So 74 is one of the, one of the numbers I consider lucky. Oh, wow. There you go. 74, lucky 74 for you. Yeah. Cause he lived through it and he had that number. So it's <laughs> yeah, a lucky yeah. number. Yeah. So anyway, Josh says, you do you. you, do you. It, doesn't, it doesn't matter what anybody else is doing. Uh, you know, I cook the way I cook. Doesn't mean you have to find a way you do you. 
And that that I, I learned that from Josh. Josh has some very wonderful and inspiring quotes. And I'm still last night I was talking to a friend um, out for dinner and there was more oil in dinner. Well, not too much. It was very, very good. But there's a bit I don't have any. There was some at this restaurant we went to. And I was just saying to her because she said, you know, I'm whole food plant based, no oil 2019. I'm, I'm on it. And I said, you know, Josh always talked. He was talking about focusing on the W's on the board and not the L's. <laughs> the, focus on the wins and not the losses, you know, on the small little bit of oil here. But if you're, if you're 90% like you, you are and I am and she is, whole food plant-based, no oil, then a, a couple of, you know, veggie chips with your grandson and a little tiny bit of uh, falafel that's not oven-baked at a Mexican restaurant I had last night, it's not going to be the, the end of everything. No, I went. I went with my uh, my son. We took a. He moved to Seattle. I drove him out there, and actually, I wrote a very long blog about that because it was a three day long uh, excursion. But when we got to Seattle, um, we found a wonderful little hole in the wall restaurant, and I ordered falafel. And I wrote in the blog, you know, it was fried. I said, "Don't judge me. I'm on vacation." Um, but still. It wasn't beef. I mean, I haven't had any animal products. It was still the only thing I broke the rules on. It was it was oil. That's the only thing I break the rules on ever is oil because sometimes there's just there's just not an option and you're just out <laughs> and it's difficult. Right, and it's not because I yeah, crave no. oil. It's not because mm. the flavor or anything. It's just, it, it, the choices become more and more limiting. And after three days of driving, you know, I didn't really care. I just wanted to, you know, have something to eat. But yeah, we made, um, let's see, before I left on that trip, I made a bag full of veggie burgers, bean burgers, which was a great idea because you don't have to refrigerate them. They don't spoil. And we could have them in the car. It was summertime. It was rather hot. We didn't have any refrigerant. We had air conditioning, but we didn't have any refrigeration. And I made a dozen of them figuring, you know, over the three or four days that I was going to be gone, that would be plenty for me. And my son, who absolutely did not want to do anything plant-based, he wanted, you know, can I get fries with that kind of thing? He, um, he ate six of them in the car. <laughs> he just loved them. He thought they tasted so good, but that kind of put me in a bind. Okay, now what am I going to eat? So when we stopped at um, restaurants on our trip, uh, he'd order whatever he'd order and I'd order, you know, a salad. And I I do, like I mentioned to you, I would make up my own dressing. We'd, I just put together side dishes. If they had, uh, you know, broccoli or peas or even oatmeal or whatever as a, as a meal, that, that was fine. I was full and I felt good and we were having a great time. So there's always an option. And if there isn't an option, go next door because there's yeah, an option exactly, there. Exactly, exactly. And I think, uh, I know for me, I've been places, I went to Japan once and we got there late at night and I was hungry and we'd eaten all the food I'd packed on the flight and you can't take fruit off the plane and, you know, all these things. So I had nothing. And so we got there and there was only 7-Eleven, but the, the taxi driver from the airport took us to our little tiny place and we didn't know where anything was and it was too late we had little baby who was only one to take him out to wander the streets looking for a supermarket or there's a 7-eleven and all that was really vegan was sliced pineapple so some oats and so we just made a meal out of sliced pineapple sliced those sliced fruit 
and we had a huge, huge fruit thing and it was a 7-Eleven meal, you know, and you can – it was perfect. It was, 7-Eleven it was great. They generally have yeah, fresh so fruit. Yeah, so we just had a fresh fruit. Yeah, we had some oats. Fruit. They generally have nuts. They had soy milk and we were good to go, but that was, you know. Yeah. Well, that, that was one of the things when trip, instead of looking for fast food restaurants uh, when we would get to a city, I would look for a grocery store. And we would run in and I would buy a bag of apples or I'd buy a few pears and apples and mix it up a little bit and get some veggies that uh, were, were easy enough, you know, to, to I didn't have to peel or I didn't have to, you know, do a whole lot to prepare them. And I was absolutely fine. I mean, a handful of nuts and a bunch of veggies and I was good to go. So, yeah, it isn't that hard. It's always there. It's available wherever you are. And you don't have to stress about it. I mean, I would stress about it. I used to count protein. I used to say, okay, this has, I need, I need all the protein I can find, right? Well, no, you really don't. Your body's just going to take the excess protein and turn it into fat anyway. So I would look for the protein content. And then I started to do that food diary thing, that food journal. And I did the same thing with the protein. I made it like a protein journal and I would add it up. And before you know it, at the end of the day, I was eating 60 grams of protein 70 grams of protein and you only need maybe 50, 55. So I, you know, I was, I was fine. So after realizing that with every single day, it was always more than I needed. I just quit thinking about it. It just wasn't, it wasn't an issue. If I was full, I had enough protein. And sometimes I think for a lot of people, you, you do need to do that. Your own little curious detective journaling like that so that you just get your own sense of peace around this diet because if you're you're thinking oh gosh it's a great a great idea is to do a food journal or a protein diary or an iron diary if you're like worried about calcium diary whatever just so that even if you do it for three days three days and you go okay I'm getting enough then you can just not sweat that and move forward peacefully. And I think that that's perfect. If you've hit a plateau, like Alan's talking about and like Josh talked about in the last episode, and like a weight loss plateau where you're thinking, and I've hit, you know, we've all hit them, and you hit them sometimes. I hit them for like three years. (laughs) And you're thinking, why won't this move? But like Josh said, it's not moving because you can't do the same thing that you did for the first 80 pounds or 80 kilos or 50 kilos, whatever it is, for the last because you're not 80 kilos. <laughs> I know that's Josh. He lost uh, like 240 you're pounds. you're not carrying that on your body anymore. You know, he was, you were basically doing weight resistance, weight training every day when you're carrying around that much excess weight. And once that's gone, he was you're, you have to do something different with your food to keep losing the weight that you were losing when you were carrying around all this excess weight. Right. Josh runs those um, ultra marathons and he said he'll train for them wearing a weight vest and the weight vest weighs 25 pounds. And he says, you know, by the end of training with that thing on, he's going, wait a minute, I used to carry around 10 times this much. And I never, and he says, and I didn't even realize it. And he was, what a huge difference just a few pounds makes in, in your performance. He says, if, if I lose, you know, five pounds, I, by the end of the race, I feel much better without that five pounds. But, uh, oh, back to the protein. I, I love talking about protein. <laughs> if we have, we have yes, we'll, we'll finish on protein so that we can get, get uh, you okay. off to bed and get my kids. My husband's got 
an extra playdate kid here oh, out I, in the I park, have, so he wants to come home. <laughs> I haven't slept since ninth grade, so I don't don't worry about me getting off to bed. The thing about, I mean, that's pretty much the first thing that uh, people are trying to switch over. Think about is protein. Where am I going to get my? Where do you get your protein? And it, it's it's not a stupid question. It's it's a it's a very interesting question. And the problem is that they don't understand what protein even is. They don't understand that your body builds protein. You don't, you eat, if you eat a cow or a pig or a chicken, you don't grow feathers. You don't have a cow's hair. You don't have a cow's muscle structure. You break down their protein into its basic building blocks and they're called amino acids. There are 20 of them that humans use in order to build our protein. Nine of them are called essential amino acids. And yes, if you have a piece of hamburger, you're getting all 20 amino acids. It's already built. You don't have to go through a whole heck of a lot in order to break it down and then turn it into human protein. But if you eat uh, strictly hamburger or, or steak, you're also taking in all the chemicals that that farmer put into that cow, in addition to all the saturated fat that that cow built for himself, which plugs up your arteries, and you don't need that. Um, the plants have exactly the same amino acids that the cow had, but it doesn't have the hormones, and it doesn't have the um, additives, and it doesn't have the antibiotics, and it doesn't have the saturated fat. But if you eat avocado, it has some fat in it. You need a little bit of fat. It helps you absorb the nutrients that are in a salad. So if you want to take half an avocado and slice it up and throw it in your salad, great. If you want to take a handful of cashews and crush them up and throw them in your salad, great. It helps you absorb the nutrients in that salad. Without it, you don't absorb as well. Um, and that's just a fact. But the thing is, the amino acids are what you're looking for. You you want to make sure you get the scope, but then where do I get that? Okay, well, one of the things I wrote about in my blog is here are the 20 amino acids. Here are the nine essential ones because the other 11 you just make yourself. You don't need to worry about, but the nine essential ones, if you literally had peanut butter spread on a piece of whole wheat toast, you've covered all nine essential amino acids. It's it's that easy. I don't do that because I don't want the oil from <laughs> the peanuts. The <laughs> but I'm saying that it's there. So, you know, if you have a few nuts and you have some whole wheat, you have some grain, you have some fruit, those are the basic building blocks for any protein. Um, humans, cows, chickens, gorillas, giraffes, they they all eat plants they're they're all plant eaters um and they look great you know they have plenty of hair and they have plenty of teeth and they have no one's ever asking the gorillas and the hippos where they get their protein from <laughs> no but i mean they do have a slightly different digestive system one of the things about the gorilla is uh they have uh, a different set of salivary glands than we have so they're able to break down some of the um plant fiber a little bit easier than we are cows have extra stomachs so that they can break break up the cellulose in the plants, which is fine, but that's not where you make protein from. It's you're not making the protein so much from cellulose. You're making it from all the other nutrients. Uh, so you know you can you're not really comparing apples to oranges. Yes, true. But you're comparing oranges to oranges. It's just a little different brand of orange. Yeah. So 
so I tutored biochemistry for a couple of years back in college. I took a ton of biochemistry and your, your body will take those, those nutrients, break them down into the amino acids and then reassemble them using your DNA and transfer RNA and, and ribosomes and the endoplasmic reticulum. And all of a sudden you've got protein growing out of your ears. Um, the, so you know, understanding what you're, what you're talking about, saying, where do I get my protein? Okay, well, I get it from plants. Where do plants get their protein? Plants are the only things on earth that can take nitrogen and oxygen and carbon and hydrogen and string them together right out of the air, right out of the water, right out of the soil. And they're able to turn it into amino acids. We can't do that. We have to take in our amino acids extraneously through what we eat but we can't breathe them in uh so it's it's an easy thing to do though i mean really you're you can't get away from it if it was ever alive doesn't matter if it's oatmeal doesn't matter if it's a piece of celery it has amino acids in it it's just the fact that's the way it's designed and and that's where we get it so basically if you are worried do a three-day food protein diary like alan and and you'll figure out that you're getting plenty if you just plug it into an app like Chronometer or any other app like that that tracks your nutrients and your macro a macro tracker, it, you you you'll figure it out. You'll find out. Okay, I'm eating this. I'm getting enough protein. There's plenty of ways to find that out. And yeah, I've never had a problem with it. You don't have to do it every day. You you don't have to have exactly 55 milligrams of protein every day, 55 grams of protein every day. I'm sorry. If you had 50 on Tuesday and you had 55 on Wednesday, you're not going to fall apart. Nothing bad is going to happen. You might lose a half a pound, but that's about it. <laughs> Absolutely. You'll, you'll get it all in the end. You know, that's, that's. Oh yeah. Well, it comes out that way too, out of the end. Um, <laughs> find yourself to be much more regular that all the fiber just, one of one of my favorite parts alan one of my favorite parts of this way of eating is going from being unable to go to being able to go and it to be great regularly Regularly. happily all right uh we'll, we'll end on that note thank you so much alan for coming on the show thank you all for listening and I love your story and I know that if anyone is listening and wants to hear more from Alan or read more about what Alan's been doing or his journey, check out 01reluctantvegan.blogspot.com. You can find him on Facebook at Alan, A-L-L-A-N, Kalmus, K-A-L-M-U-S. Correct. And... Yes, he'll be, add you as a friend if you want to add him as a friend, and you can look at his get be inspired to run and eat healthy with Alan. Um, he's a great friend, motivational friend to have. Yes, and and I'm I'm a member of the Missing Chins Run Club now, thanks to Josh. Yes, so I've got a shirt. Missing Chins Run Club, <laughs> so you can find him there as well. All right, thank you. I will see everyone else next week for the next episode, and I will sure I'll be talking to you on Messenger, Alan, forever now because we're lifelong friends <laughs> from the other side of the world. I'll be giving you future updates from Australia. And I, yeah, I know because you live I in the do. future. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> 
Thank you, Alan, for coming on the show. Thank you all so much for listening. As always, if you want to support this podcast, it would be great if you could head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review, share with your family and friends, tag people, comment on the post on Facebook over at my Corinne Nidja Facebook page. Um, you know, send, leave a comment over on my website with the show notes. If you click on the show notes in Spotify, Stitcher, iTunes, um, and leave a comment for Alan or myself. All of those things help this podcast to reach more people and they help motivate me to keep making this podcast, uh, even though I'm very, very motivated um, just my myself, as anyone who knows me knows. But, you know, it's it's important for people to find it. And if no one's listening, then... <laughs> and there are people listening, but the more people who listen, the obviously more people are receiving this message and the more this podcast is helping not only people achieve great, great health, which is which is the goal of this podcast, but also it's helping, you know, reduce greenhouse gas emissions, help with deforestation, helping with oceanic dead zones, you know, saving so many species from extinction, keeping a planet for my children and your children and our families across the world, helping the animals, preventing their just tremendous suffering that they're experiencing every second of every day. So thank you. Your support really, really, really helps. Even if you're not vegan, even if you're not interested in the environmental impact of animal agriculture, if you're just interested in the health, people, you know, people sharing this information for people's health, whatever you're interested in, the more you engage, like as far as tagging, commenting, liking, sharing this podcast, the more you're helping people to live better, feel better, helping the planet and the animals as a, as a, as a, a, a brilliant side effect of supporting this podcast. So thank you all. And thank you again, Alan, for coming on the show. It was wonderful making friends with you. So I'll see you in messenger, I'm sure. <laughs> and one day I'll be in the States and running with all of these amazing guests from the States that have been on the show who I can't wait to do a marathon with or just eat some potato with. <laughs> Anyway, thank you all, and I'll see you all next week. Bye.